Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what He's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that best works for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Okay, we're in a series called Living Beyond Fear, something that affects everybody, everybody, every human being on earth. So my question is, what is real courage? It may surprise you how God views courage. A few years back, Cindy and I were speaking in a church in Buffalo, New York in the winter, and the pastor drove us to Niagara Falls, which was frozen, and there's a little museum there that tells the story of some 15 people or so who went over the falls in a barrel in the last century. So is that courage at its greatest? Most of you remember a daredevil that passed away a couple of years ago named Evil Knievel. There's a evil. He jumped over everything, including an attempt at Snake River Canyon on a rocket that failed. He says he broke every bone in his body. Is that courage at its greatest? Australian motorcyclist Robbie Madison jumped 322 feet on a motorcycle in Las Vegas, New Year's night, December 31st, 2007. I watched that. He reached a speed of 95 miles an hour to make the jump. And since then, he's jumped over 350 feet. By the way, he did it twice in a row. Watch the video. Wow. What a view, huh? And he was sober. And he is a believer, by the way. And I would be praying before that jump, too. So when we think about courage, we often think about just dramatic risk taken for risk's sake. We think of skydiving, bungee cord jumping, tightrope walking. But the problem is that most of us never live in those kind of high-stakes, dramatic, do-or-die scenarios. Not really. And too often in our culture, we confuse courage with being a daredevil or recklessness. But that's not what the Bible calls real courage. So I want to talk about courage for ordinary people like you and me, not going over Niagara Falls or jumping over buses on a motorcycle. Courage is not something that's only needed on a rare occasion, like when the ship's going down or terrorists tried to take over a plane and remember some of the passengers stormed the door uh, in an ill-fated attempt to take charge and bring the plane down. The courage God longs for us to have is the courage exhibited in the lives of ordinary people like you and me in ways that will probably never be seen or certainly will never make headlines. I think of somebody who cho chooses to hold fast to some honest conviction, even though it means they may stand alone, even though it means they're going to face criticism, misunderstanding, and rejection. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort or convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. So I personally think it's in times that are unpublicized in the midst of a routine day in the lives of ordinary people where the most important battle over courage gets waged. You know, I'd like to get to the end of my life and have God at least say to me, well, Rick, you showed courage instead of, uh, sadly, you only followed the path of least resistance. 
And typically when you follow the crowd, you follow the path of least resistance. The Apostle Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, and he said, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And that's important to know when you find yourself experiencing timidity or fear or anxiety kind of eating away at you, God did not give that to you. So God wants you to live with a spirit of power, so God gives a spirit of power. He never gives a human being a spirit of timidity. So let's talk about some areas, five of them, where God wants courage for ordinary people, and these are things you and I face every day, every year. The first is relational courage, relational courage. I think one of the main reasons people get stuck in superficial relationships is plain old lack of courage. One of the main components needed to create deep intimacy is courage. It really does. Maybe you know somebody who's drifting in an important area of their life. Maybe they're drifting in their marriage. Maybe they're too focused on themselves, too much I and me. Or maybe they're having a problem with anger. But true love is the courage that says, I'm going to risk the pain of speaking truth to you more than I want comfort with you because I want you to grow and flourish as a child of God. Now, how do I identify somebody who's not good at doing confrontation? Well, it's easy. Their favorite phrase with other people is, you know what your problem is. Ever heard that? Anytime somebody asks you that question, they're not looking for an answer. They want to impose their view on you. So you need wisdom, and you need to think carefully before speaking or tweeting. Some of you are in a relationship right now that may be stagnating, withering. And the reason? Nobody's taken a step of relational courage in a long time. You got to do it. You got to do it in marriage. You got to do it with friends. Relational courage to step up and risk being not part of the crowd, reject uh, being, being, no, you may be rejected by somebody, but you speak to. I've done that with pastors and never heard from them again, but it needed to be done. I was in the car with one guy from California, and I never heard a man speak to a staff uh, so disrespectful in my entire life. And even I, uh, pretty numb to being emotional, uh, was so upset. I called him down in the car, and boy, that, that ended that relationship. I said, you don't treat people that way, and especially as a leader. And I thought, nobody's let this slob be corrected ever. So sometimes you may risk a relationship to say truth, and it's truth in love. This is somebody I did like, and we had a wonderful time. But watching him deal with his people and staff, I said something. Now, the sad part about me is I'll say something. I don't need Homeland Securities to say, if you see something, say, if I see something, I'm going to say something. So you don't get invited a lot of places often because you'll say somebody, that is a jerk. That is absolutely nonsense what you just said. Nonsense. That's okay. I like me. I'm okay. <laughs> Number two, the courage to resist temptation. The courage to resist temptation. Remember, this is not going to make the paper, but it's important. Anybody ever lied? Well, let me make it easy. Go back to when you were three years old. Anybody ever stretch truth a little bit? Yeah, and the rest of you are lying. People lie to avoid pain. 
players, coaches, celebrities, politicians, Christians, ministers, people in leadership. Why do they lie? And it's so obvious. They're afraid. They're afraid of what will happen if I'm absolutely truthful. I did not inhale. Fear prompts you to lie. I'm making fun because it affects everybody. 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 Everybody's tempted to. People start gossiping. You join in, even though you know it's wrong. You wouldn't want that done to you, but you're afraid of being left out. And maybe you uh, reject whatever the crowd's going to do because it's wrong, and you'd refuse to have it. And, you know, right now, my wife was reminding me all the young couples and people want to be liked, and they want like on Facebook. I don't want somebody to unlike me. Well, if you're going to do life well, you're going to get a few unlikes. You just are. If you can't handle that, drop out of life. That's just going to happen. Or you hoard possessions because you're afraid you might get bored if you can't spend the way you want to. Or you might be insecure if you don't have a lot of stuff. Or you flatter somebody because you're afraid they won't like you if you don't. Now, it's okay to give honor to somebody and do respect when it's earned. But flattery in the Bible is called a sin. You don't flatter. It's so gross when you know somebody's sucking up. Right? That just says you're gutless. It really does. But when it's appropriate, it's an, an honorable thing to do. So the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, but the Bible rebukes flattery. People that tell you what you want to hear so you'll like them, accept them, uh, or whatever. Or you, they'll invite you to preach or something. I'm not going to say it. Everybody's not great. Everybody's not the best. Everybody's not wonderful. Where'd that nonsense come from? You know? See, I didn't come up in that religious environment, so I just think it's just goofy. Is that okay if I say that? Yeah. Okay. It's all, you can change your membership. That's okay. I understand. I can handle it. You go through Scripture over and over again, and you ask, what's really the root behind sin? Fear. Fear of being poor is what made Jacob lie and deceive his brother. Fear of being unloved is what made Saul jealous of David. He's losing popularity in the polls. David's getting more press than he. David had a bigger crowd than he did, so he's, he's got fear. Fear of having to suffer is what made the disciples run away from Jesus. Fear of having to suffer is what made Peter deny Jesus three times to a teenage girl, right? Fear made all of them betray their deepest value to their best friend in his hour of greatest need. Just fear. Fear made them all betray their friend in his hour of greatest need. But you know, here's what most people say. If I risk obeying God, he won't take care of me. I won't be all right. Something will happen that I cannot handle. That's what the voice that comes to you. And the kind of courage God loves best is when ordinary people are willing to just resist temptation and trust him. Maybe you're struggling with a particular sin, been going on for quite a while. And the question for you right now is, will you have enough courage to resist that temptation? You, I don't know what you people think, but everybody has temptation. I mean, if, a, if that white horse with a naked woman and blonde hair came riding down the aisle in here, rest assured, I would notice. I ain't so holy, I wouldn't notice. Where did you get that? People have been married 50 years, have faced temptation, but they said the courageous, I'm not going to lose my family, my, the respect of my friends, I'm not going to lose my, I'm not going to. It takes guts to do it, but everybody's tempted. 
If you ain't tempted, you're dead. Some of you said, I never, you've never had enough success to get tempted. So you don't know what you'd do. I know people, you haven't had the money, you haven't had the power, you haven't had the position, you haven't had the body, you haven't had the opportunity. So shut your mouth. If you hadn't been there, you don't know what you'd do. You, you might be the worst of all, given position like that, what, what you would be, what you would do. So it takes courage to resist temptation. It could cost you money. It could. It cost you a position. Third is the courage to pursue your dream. Ordinary people need courage to pursue a dream. You don't have to teach people to dream. We've said before, every child that comes into this world is born a dreamer. Ask any little kid, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And not one child in any nation, any race at any time will ever say, gee, I don't know. They all have an answer. They all at least know what they think they want to be. See, every, every wedding involves a dream. And every one of them, every groom looks down the aisle, sees his bride, and he dreams of how he's going to change. And every bride looks down the aisle, she sees her groom, and she dreams of how she's going to change him. We're, we're all born dreamers. We just are. So having a clear dream is what it means to be a human being. I mean, think of people that have dreams, and you, their name is synonymous. Uh, at one time, we could say Tiger Woods, and everybody would say golf, not girls, but golf. There was a time. Steven Spielberg, movies. He's got a ton of money, so I don't think it's mainly money he's about. It's dreams of telling stories on film that capture people's hearts. Uh, Bill Gates, computers, technology would consume him daily, correct? Dat Prescott, dreams of a Super Bowl that he ain't going to be in this year, sadly. I know, that, that, that was painful. So, so what about you? What would people say you dream about? What passion has God put in your heart about why you're here on planet Earth? People in civil rights have a passion against uh, righteous uh, injustice. It drives them. They'll move in that area. It's a dream. Others hate sickness and what it does to people. They'll move into the medical field. Others into the legal profession. What, what, you, what just you absolutely hate and perks you up, that's a clue to perhaps your future. That's something God put in you, right? It, it is. It's true. What's your dream? Don't let people demean your dream just because of your age or the fact, well, we can't afford that, or who do you think you are, or you don't have a high enough education. Don't ever step on the dreams of friends, of loved ones, of your children. For God's sake, let them dream bigger than you. I'm, I, it's a fact, and people do. I want my kids to have a bigger and better life than me. I want to say you can do anything. Go for it. Give it a shot. You'll never know till you try. And the saddest moment of life is to meet to some person and realize they're just a dark hole. They have no dream for their life at all. Somewhere in life they stop dreaming. And it wasn't always that way because we know everybody comes into this planet as a dreamer. But there are forces that kill dreams. Waiting can kill dreams. The Bible says in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It, well, I guess it just isn't ever going to happen. Well, how do you like to be 100 waiting on a baby? How'd you like to be Joseph, have to wait 17 years for your dream to be a ruler to ever come true? 
and then have to go to be a prisoner, a slave, and then a prisoner in jail. My goodness. See, read the Bible sometimes, and you'll realize your life's not near as bad as you think it is. That's why it's there. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. The prophet says, though the vision or the dream tarries, wait on it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. If God said this is going to happen, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. He can delay it, but he can't stop it. That ought to fire. God says, that which I've begun in you, I'll perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. So people can rise up. People can uh, assassinate you. Haters can come. People can do all kinds of things, but it will not change God's will. And that's good to know. It ought to make you bold, confident. If God's promised it, he'll make a way when there just isn't a way. Obstacles kill dreams. We want our dreams to come true, and we want it to be easy. But when roadblocks get in the way, people typically give up on their dream, and they'll take a detour. And so obstacles are just part of life. There's no such thing as easy. And by the way, there's no Kmart blue light markdown for a dream. You don't get a discount dream. If you go to the discount apartments, you're not going to get much, right? Some of you need to raise the bar. If you want something really nice, it's going to cost you. Now, going to heaven costs Jesus his life, so it doesn't cost me a dime. But anything, marriage, a future, a career, a business, a ministry, whatever you want, hell, that's going to cost me. Jesus said, you got to pay for that. I paid for your salvation, but if you want to, I'm not going to come down and pay for your marriage. You're married to her. You pay. Sacrificial, romantic love will get you down the aisle, but sacrificial love will get you till death do us part. And that ain't, that's painful, right? That's painful. So if you don't dream about your career or about your gifts, about your marriage, about your future, to you, God says, will you dare to dream again? Because I put you on this earth for some purpose, whether you know it or not yet. But because this earth is fallen and broken, you're going to have to fight for the dream I created you to realize. Will you dream again? We live in a broken world, so nothing comes easy. That, the only thing easy is quitting. And we live in a nation of quitters. People just give up so quick and so easy. Will you have the courage, God says, to pursue your dream even though it takes a long time, even though people get in the way? when people don't believe in you or obstacles hinder you. God says, will you dream again about your calling, about your purpose, about your character, about your relationships? And I'm telling you, as my friend Casey Treat has preached coming out of drug addiction and rehab centers, his, his coach was an African-American Marine sergeant who said, you can change, Big Red. You can change. And everybody in this room, no matter what condition you're in, you can change. God can change you. That's nice to know, huh? I don't care how bad and pitiful it is, you can change. When ordinary people show extraordinary courage in pursuing God-given dreams, God loves that kind of courage. And then fourth, courage to make difficult decisions. Courage to make difficult decisions. And boy, parents need this as much as anybody. When Cindy and I first had children, I remember bringing that first little bundle home, and I thought, man, this is a living being that flowed out of my wife and out of me in our marriage. And I had a sense of wonder about it. But after we took that little bundle home and lived with it for a while, <laughs> we realized there was something in that little bundle besides wonder. In all of our little bundles, there was willfulness and stubbornness, rebellion and obstinance sometimes. 
And sometimes we had to sit our little bundles down and have a little chat. Little bundle, here's some truth. You need to know you don't intimidate us in the least. There will be boundaries to your life. There will be consequences to your actions. You will not like some of my decisions. Gee, that's really too bad. Save up some money so you can tell your therapist someday. Because we love you too much and we take parenting far too seriously to make our decisions based on how they affect our popularity with you, the parentee. Amen. And I feel that way about friends. And some of you parents need to have courage to make a hard decision, to set boundaries, to establish consequences. Some people call it tough love. Some of our people over the multitude of the people we have, I know at least two that have had to do an intervention with their children who are hopelessly adrift in drugs and alcohol, and they did a forced intervention to save their lives. And by the way, those, those kids are doing well now, thank God. But that was a courageous thing to do when the child may hate your guts for it or whatever. Maybe your child's involved in criminal activity and some parents uh, have, have returned their child in and saw what was happening and reported the child for the child's own sake and right. That's guts. That's courage. That really is. So what you have to say to be, you got an 18-year-old boy in the house and he won't come under your authority and he won't obey any of the rules and he's terrorizing everything and everybody, you may have to use tough love and say, okay, big boy, here's your suitcase. God bless you. You're on your own. Out the door you go. You're not going to live off of us anymore. You're going to get a job. You're going to learn to work. And when you can be respectful, you can come back in this house. That takes courage. And people have done that. Some of you shudder. Well, this is part of leadership. This is just the way it is. Com a coach has to sit a star player down. A coach has to trade a player who's a drama queen that loves drama like we drink oxygen. God, and he got to say, you're causing too much trouble. You're not worth that much value to the team. I'm going to cut you. And then there's fear. Whoa, the fans won't think well of me. Too bad. I want to win. I want a team that wins, and I don't want to drag drama with me. If you run an office, if you run a business, if you run a church, there are occasionally times you have to say to somebody, we're going to have to, we're going to have to terminate your employment. We're going to have to make another adjustment. Maybe they're not, maybe they're not able to do the work. Maybe it's done poorly. I remember having to let a guy go 30 years ago who spent 80% of his time on outside ministry and only 20% in our church. And I says, well, then here's the deal. Let's let the outside people pay 80% of your salary and I'll only pay 20. How's that sound to you? Or as Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? I said, I'm paying you 100% for 20%. Tell me what's wrong with this picture. So I've had to let people go, and then they never tell the truth to the people outside, so I'm sure I'll get a few haters when that happens. Go ahead, take my picture out of your wallet. I don't care. <laughs> if you can't do that, you can't lead. You can't go far in life. You won't end up with a good marriage. You won't end up as a good parent. You won't even end up as a good friend. You've got to be able to. This is Bible. This isn't weird. This is just right. You've got to have courage to do it, right? Oh, man. So God says, fear not. Have the guts to make some tough calls because when you do, something happens inside of you. You may have to even make the courageous decision in a recession or perhaps you've had a loss of pay to cut back your privileges, cut the gym membership off, uh, get rid of a car, get an older car that's paid for while you recover. 
Okay, it takes courage. I'm afraid of, people might think we're losing. God thinks you're smart. You're being a good steward. You cut back. That's okay. Anytime I tackle hard issues in church regarding legalism or issues unbiblically that are taught, leaders around the world cringe when I do it because they tell me privately, I know that's true, but it's such a hot button issue, they don't want to address it publicly. They all believe it, but they won't discuss it or preach it. Well, welcome, baby, I will. Okay, whatever that costs me, if it's biblical truth, I'm going to stand with Jesus. That's it. I don't, if my political party violates truth, you violated truth. I am not loyal to America first or to a party first. I'm loyal to the King of Kings and to His Word. And that trumps America. That trumps any political party. I mean, that should be normal. You know, I love my country. I'm, 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 I'm glad I'm born here instead of Afghanistan. I'm glad I have the privileges. You know, whether you're a protester or whether you're a celebrator or whether you're uh, indifferent, thank God you live in a country and a nation where you're free to do it. Either way, you can celebrate, protest, or be indifferent. You, can't, you try that in Iran. You go, go move over there and try it. You know, no, no, we, we've got such wonderful privilege. But I'm going to tell you something. When my country or my leadership or my party violates God's word, the Bible says his authority is higher authority. In that case, I'm loyal to truth above nationalism or above a political party. I wish people could get that. I, that's the easiest thing in the world. I'm going to side with Jesus, not with some party, not with some race, not with some administration. I'm going to side with truth. And if I'm in an administration and they violate tr clear truth, not just an opinion or public opinion, but clear biblical truth, I'm going to speak up and I probably lose my job. That's why some of you won't speak up. You know it's wrong. And if you do wrong, if you do wrong to, to, to uh, law enforcement, if you do wrong to law enforcement, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to side with law enforcement. If law enforcement does wrong to you, then I'm going to side with you. Truth is truth. Justice is justice. Correct? It's not black, white, Hispanic, American, Republican, or Democrat. It's truth. Crying out loud. You didn't need police in, in my military. Family. My dad slapped me across the wall. He, a teacher just called my daddy. It's over. It's like the, the clock has been punched. The, the bomb is getting ready to go. You're toast. I didn't need anybody. He did what, police officer? He did what? I didn't need a judicial official, a reform school. My God, I was terrified. And how many of you came out of a family like that? Yep, we've got African Americans in here. They'll slap you upside the head. You talk like that, boy. That's kind of I was too. You said yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, and it didn't matter what race or nationality. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. If that woman walked in, you stood up. Nobody else is. Well, you will get up. Every time I, every time I respond to my father, I never had a name when I was eighteen. It was called boy. What'd you say, boy? That's what I thought you said, boy. I, put a, I looked on my birth certificate, and boy, wasn't there, but that's what he called me. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Now, some of these young people haven't got a clue. They don't know. Anyway, when you make a hard decision, you get strong inside. The willingness to make hard calls wisely and with courage. That's what makes great leaders in the marketplace, in marriage, in a classroom, in parenting. Some of you need to ask yourself, what really hard decision have I been putting off making? 
Everybody will never like you. Just accept it. It's a fact. In this nation, whatever your opinion, 51% ain't going to like you, no matter what side you're on. Can you handle that? It's, it's just that this multi-divided nation and culture we live in. So when ordinary people make extraordinary difficult calls with wisdom and strength, that's the kind of courage God delights in. And number five, the courage to endure. The courage to endure. The Bible says you have need of endurance, that after you do the will of God, you might obtain the promise, the reward. Boy, you know, if you're going to be an athlete and you're going to run, we all know you're going to need endurance. So before Ironman, before marathons, people, uh, I know Arthur Young in here does it, other people, they'll warm up with six-mile runs every day. They'll build their endurance because they know that marathon's going to be gut-wrenching difficult. But we don't have much endurance in ministry. Christians don't endure much at all. If, if, if I'm offended, I'm divorcing. If something doesn't go my way, I'm going to quit. I'm going to drop out. I'm going to move my membership. I, they, we, endurance is just like a strange word. But the secret to success is just plain old, gutted up, grit, endurance. I will not go down. I won't be moved. I'm going to endure this pain, and I'm going to endure to the end. So when things aren't going well, when it hurts, when it's lonely, when it's not fair, welcome to the world. Welcome. It's the courage to hold on, endure, and endure. Let me tell you about a six-year-old girl. You can see her picture up on the screen. She went to school several decades ago, and her name was Ruby Bridges. She lived in New Orleans. When she was six years old, a federal judge said schools in that city had to open their doors to African-American children. And the day that little children would be separated because of the color of their skin was now officially to be over. And almost all of the white parents decided if they let black children in, they'd keep their children out. And if any black children actually came to school, they'd be in for big trouble. So the black children stayed home and the white children stayed home, except for Ruby. Every day, little six-year-old Ruby Bridges would kiss her mom goodbye and march off to school. She had two federal marshals walking in front of her, two federal marshals walking behind her. She needed them because she had to walk through heckling crowds into an empty school building, and she was the only one that went to school. The crowd spit at her, heckled her, shook their fists at a six year old girl. Um, unbelievable. But every morning at 10 minutes to 8, Ruby Bridges walked past all those people with her head up, eyes straight ahead. She walked into the empty school building to learn, and she did it every single day. And what's amazing is not just that she kept coming back. What's really amazing is how she did it. The white school teacher described what she saw when Ruby walked into the school. And I'm quoting I saw a woman spit at Ruby, but miss. Ruby smiled at her. I saw a man shake his fist at her, but Ruby smiled at him. Then she walked up the stairs and stopped at the building, and she turned and looked at the crowd, and she smiled one more time. Do you know what she told one of those marshals, her teacher said? She told him she prays for those people, the ones in the mob, every night before she goes to sleep. So a Harvard psychiatrist named Robert Coles wanted to know what could create that kind of courage in a six-year-old girl. I've got a seven-year-old granddaughter, a six-year-old girl. And he went to New Orleans, left Harvard to interview Ruby and her family and friends. He wrote a book, The Moral Life of Children. And in it, 
Here's what this non-believing Harvard psychiatrist said about six-year-old Ruby Bridges. He said, quote, if I had to offer an explanation, I think it would start with the religious tradition of black people, which is of far greater significance than many white observers have tended to allow. In home after home I visited, I've seen Christ's teachings, Christ's life connected to the lives of African-American children by their parents. Such a religious tradition connects with a child's sense of what is important. As anybody knows who's ever been in a black church and seen the look of pain give way to the look of hope. This Harvard non-believing psychiatrist comes to New Orleans to look at this six-year-old girl, and he says, I think it's Jesus. It wasn't the marshals that gave her courage. It wasn't the authority of a federal judge. Not really. It's something no government, no political, no human power could do for her or you or me. Nope, it was Jesus. And Ruby knew about Jesus. I think we have a picture of her today. She knew. He understands all about facing hostile crowds. Beautiful. Go, Ruby! Amazing. Most of you have never been anywhere near that. Walking down a crowd mob with clubs and spit and hate and vent. Try that. And at six years of age, try that. So she knew, Ruby knew. She understood about Jesus, that he understood all about hostile crowds. He had a few. He knew what it was to have somebody spit at him, mock him, curse him, and threaten him just for doing the right thing. And he never turned back, and he never stopped loving the very people who were so ugly to him, and he even prayed for them. Ruby knew about Jesus, and she knew, I'm not going to school alone. So this six-year-old girl kept walking down a very hard road because she was walking with a God who knows all about very hard roads. That's courage to endure. And some of you may need that courage right now. Some of you need courage, not because you're choosing to do something risky, but you're in a situation you didn't even choose. You have to walk down a road. You don't even, you may be with stage four. You didn't choose that. You, you could choose to jump over mo, uh, buses with a motorcycle, but you didn't choose that. But you've got to walk down that road. It may be a road called divorce, and you didn't choose that, but you're going to have to walk down that road, and you don't want to walk down. And God is saying, will you trust me? Will you walk that road with me one day at a time? And God gives you the courage to endure, the grace to endure, one day at a time. Well, Rick, how can I guarantee it's all going to come out okay? <laughs> well, good luck. The truth is you can't. All you can do is walk down the road today. You can't solve tomorrow's problems. You can't carry tomorrow's burdens. All you can do is walk down the road today, and Jesus promises to walk down that road with you, never to leave you or forsake you. Maybe you've lost somebody you love, maybe to death or a divorce, and you're afraid. And you're afraid of never loving again because you might be alone. You might get hurt. And God's going to say to you what he says to everybody else. Will you take the risk of staying alive, continuing to love, engage, even though you might get hurt, because I'll walk with you. I'm not going to back off and abandon life because somebody hurt me, somebody betrayed me, somebody tried to destroy me. Maybe you've lost a job, a financial position. Maybe you've lost health, and you find yourself afraid of the future. I was praying for a man a couple of days ago battling st stage four cancer. And he said to me in our conversation, I don't know how somebody that doesn't have a relationship with the living God 
could walk down this path. I don't know how they could endure the possibilities that exist with that stage four cancer and the chemo and everything. He said, I've got so many people praying with me and praying for me, and I know my God is here. And I thought, that is the comfort. He's with you. He will not forsake you, even in the valley of the shadow of death. So God says, will you keep believing? Will you keep risking and dreaming and growing? Because when God walks with you, hey, you can't be alone. Life gets real different. When people think they're alone in the universe, it's a scary, frightening place to be. But the good news of this Bible is I am never alone. To close, I don't know what road you have to walk down. You know, we don't get to choose all of our roads. But I know every one of us has to walk down some road. And there are parts of that road none of us like. But God knows all about walking down hard roads. He's been there. He's mastered it so that when you met it, you'd know he had already met it and defeated it. I don't have to, even death, he's already defeated it, risen from the dead. So I can take a deep breath and I don't even have to fear dying. I have eternal life. There's life after death and that's good to know. So there are parts of that road we don't like, but God says, I'm going to walk with you. And when Jesus was on this earth, he walked down the hardest road of all. And one of the reasons he did it is so you'd know whatever your road is, He's walking it with you. The Bible makes it clear. God has never given us, nor will he ever give you, a spirit of timidity, of fear. Never. He gives a spirit of power. And God delights in the courage of ordinary people in unseen moments. And you know, you can take almost anything when you know God's with you, and he promises to give adequate resources to anyone who follows him. But he does it one day at a time. Whatever your road is, Will you walk down it with him? God's just waiting. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Just one day at a time. One day at a time. One step at a time is all I need. If I'm in a crisis, just live it one day. Quit thinking a year from now. One day at a time. I'm going to give grace to endure one day at a time. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.